0: Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the podcast, talking about William Wordsworth. I think we might be talking about him for a few days, because um, there's a lot of his poems, and I'm very tired. So I'm not going to trek through them all tonight. Maybe tomorrow night I'll, 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 you know, be a bit less tired. I might do the podcast earlier even, so i have got a bit more energy. Anyway, I don't know if I've heard of William Wordsworth before. Wordsworth rings a bell. Um, but Swim says, Wordsworth's enormous talent leaps right off the page, doesn't it? According to Wikipedia, the Lucy poems are written from the point of view of a lover who has long viewed the object of his affection from afar and who is now affected by her death. Wordsworth structured the poems so that they are not about any one person who has died. Instead, they were written about a figure representing the poet's lost inspiration. Lucy is represented in all five poems as sexless. It's unlikely that the poet ever realistically saw her as a possible lover. Instead, she is presented as an ideal and represents Wordsworth's frustration at his separation from Coleridge. Note another famous romantic poet, the writer... He wrote uh, lyrical ballads, a poetry book. Oh, they they wrote lyrical ballads and a poetry book together. Sexual, asexual imagery reflects the futility of his longing. Uh, the Wikipedia article, though fairly long, is worth a read. So there's a whole article just about those poems that we read yesterday, those five poems. <laughs> Um, Schmoop tells us that Wordsworth was an English poet, a key figure in romanticism. He and his friend Samuel Taylor Coleridge invented a new style of poetry in which nature and the diction of the common man trumped formal stylized language. Their seminal 1798 poetry collection, Lyrical Ballads, helped to launch the romantic era of English literature, in which writers sought to unite the tranquility of nature and the inner emotional world of men. Wordsworth was the quintessential figure of romanticism. He lived in England's scenic lake district instead of urban London. He wrote poems in his head as he wandered through the hills and moors. He had a few different families uh, and some other stuff. Okay, there we go. So he was incredibly famous. I think Wordsworth does like that name rings a bell. Um, So there you go was very influential, as I probably could have guessed by the fact that he's got so many poems in this book. Now, uh let's continue reading his poems with one that's called Upon Westminster Bridge. Earth has not anything to show more fair. Dull would he be of soul who could pass by, a sight so touching in its majesty, this city now doth like a garment wear The beauty of the morning silent bare Ships, towers, domes, theatres and temples lie Open unto the fields and to the sky All bright and glittering in the smokeless air Never did the sun more beautifully steep In his first splendor, valley, rock or hill Never saw I, never felt a calm so deep The river glideth at his own sweet will Dear God, the very houses seem asleep And all that mighty heart is lying still Evening on Calais Beach. It is a beauteous evening, calm and free. The holy time is quiet as a nun. Breathless with adoration, the broad sun is sinking down in its tranquillity. The gentleness of heaven broods over the sea. Listen, the mighty being is awake, and doth with his eternal motion make a sound like thunder everlasting, dear child, dear girl, that walkest with me here. If thou appear untouched by solemn thought, thy nature is not therefore less divine. Thou liest in Abraham's bosom all of the year, and worshipst at the temple's in a shrine, God being with thee when we know it not. If you listen carefully, you can hear Toby snoring in my arms directly under the microphone, I'm sure. This one's called On the Extinction... On the sorry, on the extinction of the Venetian Republic, 1802. Once did she hold the gorgeous East in fee, and was the safeguard of the West. The worth of Venice did not fall below her birth. Venice, the eldest child of Liberty, she was a maiden city, bright and free. No guile seduced, nor force could violate. And when she took unto herself a mate, she must espouse the everlasting sea. And what if she had seen those glories fade? Those titles vanish and that strength decay, yet shall some tribute or regret be paid when her long life hath reached its final day. Men are we and must grieve when even the shade of that which once was great is passed away. England, 1802. This poem is number one of five, and we'll do these five and then we'll finish there. O oh, friend, I know not which way I must look, for comfort, being as I am oppressed. To think that now our life is only dressed for show, mean, handy work of craftsman's cook, or groom, we must run glittering like a brook. In the open sunshine, or we are unblessed, the wealthiest man among us is the best. No grandeur now, in nature or in book, delights us, rapine a very expense. This is idolatry, and these we adore. Plain living and high thinking are no more. The homely beauty of the good old cause is gone. Our peace, our fearful innocence, and pure religion breathing household laws. What do you think of that, Toby? It's very asleep. Number two Milton, thou shouldst be living at this hour. England hath need of thee, she is a fiend. Of stagnant waters, altar, sword, and pen. Fireside, the heroic wealth of hall and bower have forfeited their ancient English dower. Of inward happiness, we are selfish men. Oh, raise us up, return to us again, and give us manners, virtue, freedom, power. Thy soul was like a star and dwelt apart. Thou hadst a voice whose sound was like the sea, pure as the naked heavens, majestic and free. So didst thou travel on life's common way in cheerful godliness, and yet thy heart, the lowliest duties on herself, did lay. Three. Great men have been among us, hands that penned, and tongues that uttered wisdom, better none. The later, Sidney Marvel Harrington, Young Vane, and others who called Milton friend. These moralists could act and comprehend. They knew how genuinely, genuine glory was put on. Taught us how rightfully a nation shone, in splendour what strength was that would not bend, but in magnanimous meekness France tis strange hath brought forth so such souls, no such souls as we had then, perpetual emptiness, unceasing change, no single volume paramount, no code, no master spirit, no determined road, but equally a want of books and men. Four. It is not to be thought of that the flood of British freedom which to the open sea of the world's praise from dark antiquity hath flowed with pomp of waters unwithstood, roused though it be full often to a mood, which spurns the cheek of solitary bands, that this most famous stream in bogs and sands should perish, and to evil and to good be lost forever in our halls is hung. Armory of the Invincible Knights of Old we must be free or die. We speak the tongue, that Shakespeare spake, The faith and morals hold, which Milton held, In everything we are sprung, How of earth's first blood have titles manifold. Number five. When I have borne in memory what has tamed, Great nations, how ennobling thoughts depart, When men change swords for ledgers and desert, The students bow for gold, some fears unnamed, I had my country, am I to be blamed? Now, when I think of thee and what thou art, Verily, in the bottom of my heart, Of those unfilial fears I am ashamed, For dearly must we prize thee, Who find in thee a bulwark for the cause of men, And I, by my affection, was beguiled. What wonder if a poet now and then, Among the many movements of his mind, Felt for thee as a lover or a child. Alright, that's our poems. Um, For today at least. There's plenty more words worth where that came from, but that's going to do us for today. Uh, So, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.